In today's episode, I'm going to discuss America's newest president, Donald Trump, Huga, and an exciting new book that you should definitely be reading. This is Brunch Break with me. haven't noticed our severe lack of podcasts recently, or the fact that I'm actually speaking here alone, I'm currently missing a (sighs) co-host. Rebecca is taking a brief hiatus from the show because she is, drumroll, has started working for Jimmy Nederlander, I think is how I pronounce his name. In essence, he's one of the largest theater operators in the country, and I'm so excited for her while she adjusts to her new position, but in the meantime, I'm going to be taking over the podcast with some guest appearances from some of my friends here in Berlin. Um, While she's been doing that, I'm starting as my MBA program in a couple weeks and staying here in my favorite city for another couple years. Thank goodness. It seems like we'll never be in the same city, but at least our complaining about jobs will stop for at least a little bit. Since our last episode almost a month ago now, Dramatic changes have taken place all over the political system. America, our country, has a new president, and he's issuing new executive orders left, right, and center. I'm, I'm very tempted to make this podcast a personal platform for airing all of my grievances against the new president, but for now, I will restrain myself and try to maintain some semblance of nonpartisanship. Since taking office, President Trump has issued over 17 executive orders. This is in quotes. You can't see it, but I'm holding up my hands. And I know it seems crazy high in this extreme number, but think about the fact that over his eight years, President Obama signed 275. And that's nothing compared to the president who issued the most executive orders, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, with a grand total of, let's think about this, 3,522. That's insane. Though, if you think about it, he was the president during America's largest war. So, in a way, it does make sense. But at the same time, 3,522? What? Now, Trump doesn't exactly stack up yet in terms of what we're thinking of is to this like outrageous number, but what he's doing, these orders, they're so drastic and in my personal view, immoral, that they're overwhelming to even think about on a small note. But here's another issue that you might not have considered with these executive orders. A lot of them aren't even traditional executive orders. They're just memorandums, which don't have the force of law at all and are just theatrical motions. And just given the way that it's been covered in the media, it can be a little difficult to distinguish what the different kinds of documents are when everything's labeled executive orders. But here are some of the orders that you might have heard of. The first and most obvious is building the wall between Mexico and America, which Mexico is, surprise, not paying for. It turns out that actually the American taxpayers will be on the hook for this one for now. According to the president and some prominent Republicans, Um, It's going to come in the form of tariffs towards Mexico, but that seems 
really insignificant and just not going to happen. But that's executive order number one. Um, executive order two is that uh, he's restarted the process for validating the Keystone XL and Dakota Access Pipeline, both of which you remember are hugely environmentally controversial and run through Native American land and haven't been consulted about whether it's okay for them to run through the process. So that's a problem. He's weakened the Affordable Care Act by telling agencies to delay or to not take actions that create a burden on states. And what that just basically means is the Affordable Care Act is a federal system, or a federal law, excuse me. And anything that it does is technically a burden on states because they're telling them to do something. So he's, in essence, telling all the states, if you don't want to enact something, don't do it. Or in his terms, if it's a burden for you at all, i.e. if it's any sort of restraint on your actions, then you're not allowed to do it, which is great. Um, next is the Mexico City policy, which basically is telling any NGO that receives money from the federal government that they can no longer promote counseling or access to abortion abroad. And that's... I'm just going to move on. It's fine. Um, the next is he froze government hiring, froze government hiring, which is a policy that was immediately challenged. Just imme the next thing that he did was he froze government hiring, which is not a strange thing to do right at the beginning of administration, but it is odd in that he didn't specify any particular positions that should be excluded. For instance, the Department of Veteran Affairs immediately challenged and said, you can't do this. The whole essence of our organization is hiring veterans. So they specified every single job in their thing that was exempt from this ruling, which was all of them. Um, Trump has withdrawn from the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which was basically a set of countries in the Pacific that were trying to make a group of rules for the region in an, in an attempt to get China to not have as much power. But that's over and done, so cool. Probably one of the most controversial is that he banned all refugees from seven countries for 120 days and immigration for 90 days, which include Iran, Iraq, Somalia, Sudan, Yemen, Libya, and Syria. And this has probably been one of the most controversial things that he's done. Because, I mean, I'm sure you've seen there have been protests all over the country. There have been people who have valid visas for studying and for working here. And now they're no longer able to come back in the country. And the order has actually been um, adjusted and reapplied for those who have permanent residency or have green cards. But the fact that they didn't even think about this seems to me completely unplanned and unprofessional. And it's not the Muslim ban that he promised during his campaign speeches, but I believe it's the closest he thinks he's going to get without being immediately impeached, as opposed to later down the line. And before I get angry <laughs> and talk about everything that's happening again, I'll just go with the last one, which is that he's ordered sanctuary cities to halt their programs and deport their refugees, which many cities like Chicago, Boston, all over the country have basically said, Mm, I think not, which is very heartening. And it's kind of a mouthful, isn't it? For those of us who didn't vote for Trump, like me, it's, it's pretty mind-boggling. I mean, honestly, I wake up and go to bed upset and angry 
that my country no longer seems to reflect any of my own personal values. How is that even possible? How could our electorate, how could our electorate have allowed this to happen? But before I get on my high horse, I honestly just have to sit, do some yoga, meditate, have some tea, and remind myself that there are some people who have felt like this for eight years under Obama. They have felt like angry. They felt their country was being taken away from them. I disagree, obviously. But it seems impossible for me to imagine that having seen some of the most amazing policies our past presidents brought into motion, um, gay marriage, helping women go into the military, it's just been a great eight years for progressive growth. But I'm trying really hard to understand where they were coming from, these people, and why they think that Trump coming into power is the next best thing since sliced bread. So, yeah, what I'm trying to say is that I, I don't want to not understand why so many people voted for Trump, even though it wasn't a majority of the popular vote in the country. There still was quite a lot of them. And I want to know, why do you think that our country is being taken away from us? Our country is a country of immigrants. That's the whole point. You can't just leave people out because you don't like the color of their skin, even though we do have a history of that. I mean, slavery, civil war, the Irish, the Japanese, the Chinese, every time a new large group of immigrants comes into our land that doesn't look like us, we fight back against them. And it's un-American, but in a sense it's the most American thing that we do every time. So, as I said, I'm trying not to throw a fit about it. Let's go back to executive orders. The next question is, what do a lot of these orders mean? Uh, the short answer is that we really don't know yet. Many of you saw that Brooklyn judge Ann Donnelly ruled in favor of the ACLU. That Trump's order, which sent refugees home, would send them into a harmful situation, which basically means that she issued a um, short stay on the order. And another Virginia judge, Leonie Brinkema, also ruled against deporting green card holders. But the number of detained and deported immigrants continues to grow. And at least from what I've read in the media, it doesn't seem like the new administration has any idea of what to do or how to implement the policy on a large scale, despite the fact that they say, look at the airports, things are going so well. The fact that there are thousands, if not millions of people detained at airports all across the, the country. It's ridiculous. It's, I mean, I don't want to speculate, but I worry that a lot of these people who either want to go home or just want to get somewhere safe where they can eat without being worried that a bomb's going to be dropped on them, that they're going to be placed in some kind of detention center pending quote-unquote further decision. So yeah, it's not great. I actually read in the news today that Senator Dianne Feinstein is going to be introducing um, two new bills today that will call out to immediately rescind the order and retract presidential authority on immigration, which would be awesome because I don't think he has any right to making those kind of decisions. But it's, it's really easy to fixate on all these horrible things in life. In fact, I'm going to have a sip of tea very quickly. Okay. I feel a little better. Um, why don't instead I talk a little bit about Huga, spelled H-Y-G-G-E. I'm sure you've heard about it. 
It's a Danish lifestyle trend that has been unstoppable online and in the nation since this past autumn. Hookah is pronounced in that weird way because it's Danish, of course. And it basically means the art of being cozy. And if you know me at all, you know this is practically my life model. It involves wearing cozy slippers, socks, putting on your pajamas and staying inside, lighting lots of candles, drinking warm drinks like hot chocolate, tea and coffee, reading a book. Ah, it sounds like heaven. Um, according to some Danish doctors, it's actually even the cure, cure for the common cold, which I will not dispute at all. But that might be because it's my own personal favorite way to live. You can huga alone. But apparently the best way to hookah is with someone in an intimate, cozy atmosphere, which sounds great. It sounds like the most amazing thing ever, actually. Especially when it's cold outside and all you want to do is curl up with your favorite person and become a bug in a rug. And I actually, uh, the article that I linked to below, it's a New Yorker article. And what I kind of like about it, because I've read about this in passing, but hadn't really thought of it myself, was that how it's a very bourgeoisie activity, it assumes you have all of this wealth and ability to spend your time doing something other than work. And in Scandinavian countries, that's very true. <laughs> they actually do have some of the shortest work weeks in the world. So it absolutely makes sense that if they have that they have the time. But in other places, that's not necessarily the case. Uh, for example, I can't imagine Huga being as popular or as uh, relevant in some Asian countries like Japan and China, which, and Korea even more, that have a culture of working really hard and just having a very work-focused culture, not focusing as much on relaxation. But I thought it was a really interesting way to think about the phenomena that isn't really talked about in socioeconomic terms. <laughs> Me personally, I am definitely continuing to do everything in the most hookah way possible, but it was nice for the article to talk about something else. Uh, wow, next question. Uh, what am I reading currently? I just finished reading The Man from St. Petersburg by Ken Follett. Yep, it's that same guy who wrote those really, really big books about World War One and World War Two. You are correct. Um, the plot follows two sort of separate stories. It starts with Felix, who's a Russian anarchist who wants to assassinate a man to stop a world war. And the story mostly follows his quest but it also follows the family of Walden, Lydia, and Charlotte, who host the man that Felix wants to kill, Prince Orlov. And it's basically kind of that family and how they're all unknowingly connected with Felix and the interworkings of the British and Russian government. And it's, it's one of those really great political um, thriller novels that throws back also to history. So it's right up my alley. Um, I had so much fun reading it. Of course, I'm still reading... Um, Jefferson and Hamilton, The Rivalry That Forged a Nation, and whew, it's taken me forever, gosh. But I'm finally post-Revolutionary War. Um, Jefferson's wife, Martha, sorry, spoiler, if you didn't know, that happened in, you know, 1700s. She died. And I'm on my way to, to making it through the book. I think my Kindles told me I'm about 30-ish percent. And the thing is, it's such a great read. But the book itself is very wordy. And so even though I find the time reading it mostly for me when I'm commuting around on the train, but it's, it's, it's taken a long time.
and I have stocked what Rebecca's is reading so that I can share it on the podcast as well. <laughs> uh, she's currently reading John Quincy Adams, A Public Life, A Private Life, which follows John Quincy Adams, aka JQA, throughout his life. And I believe that she told me privately that she like loves this book. She loves um, learning about JQA, who's this sort of unknown president. We don't really think about him, except that, oh, he was related to John Adams, who was a founding father. And I remember her, we were texting the other day, and she told me, did you know that John Quincy Adams used to party all the time? I thought, no. <laughs> so a little tidbit of information for you. You should check it out. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm super keen on keeping up on that. Also, her presidential challenge is still going on. So if you're following along with that, I would recommend getting a John Quincy Adams book, keeping up with it. Um, and as for chatter, oh, it feels so weird to do a full podcast without Rebecca. And that means there's only one piece of chatter, so I don't get to learn anything new. Um, I did make a two-part chatter, though. So the first is that I wanted to share with everyone that I am getting more yogi and mindful each morning. So, um, And it's really helped me kind of transition through the political transition that's just happened. And also just moving into 2017 and figuring out what I want the year to represent for me. And I thought it might be helpful for some of you. So I start with um, 15 to 45 minutes of yoga, just in my bedroom to warm up my body. So nothing strenuous, just some sun salutations. And then if I'm feeling bold, I'll look up a YouTube video or I'll just do some of my favorite poses and hope that I stretched out the right parts of my body. So I'll do that. And then that's followed by 10 minutes of meditation and stretching. And then finally, something I really love that I've always seen on these blogs like Mind Body Green is having a gratefulness journal. So every morning I write down five things that I'm grateful for. And I've been doing this for about 15 days now. And ever since, I've felt really, really good about life. I mean, sometimes I write the same things down each day that I'm thankful for my family, my support system, all my friends you know, having the perseverance to get through each day. And, but somehow just writing it down and giving it some thought really does help. So if you haven't done that before, give it a shot. You might figure out that you'd liked it if you hadn't before. Speaking of not throwing away your shot, (laughs) transitions are just not as fun without someone else here. (laughs) Um, The second part of my chatter is a YouTube video. And I happened upon it the other day online. And it's the Hamilton cast singing one last time the song from Hamilton to Obama in the White House. If you haven't seen the musical or heard Rebecca and I freak out about it for the past uh, two years, um, the song basically is a duet between Hamilton and Washington, where Washington is decided, has decided to resign after his second term and he's, he's ready to go home, he's ready to finish up his life. And Hamilton's saying, you can't leave, you know, there's so much important things to do. And Washington said, it's important, you know, democratic process is part of what makes our country so great. And yeah, it's, it was, I mean, it makes me cry every time anyways, uh, metaphorically, but physiologically, normally I don't. But this time, because I was watching that and then it flipped them back to Obama's face and back to the singer's. There was a lot of ugly and sniffly crying alone in my flat. (laughs) And 
Yeah, I highly, highly recommend that you watch it. Well, uh, this is awkward. I think this is the end of the show. <laughs> um, if you have any questions or suggestions, or if you think that maybe there's a different way that I should do the podcast alone in the interim before Rebecca gets back, um, definitely email us at brunchbreakpodcast at gmail.com. Leave reviews on iTunes, uh, SoundCloud, or any other podcast app that you use. It's super, super appreciated. And you can find me at Modern Fledgling on Twitter um, on my blog, PositivelyGabriella.com. And you can find Rebecca at, Re at Rebecca S. Wolf on Twitter and RebeccaSWolf.wordpress.com. All the show notes will be in the description. Thanks so much for listening this week. And Rebecca, I'll talk to you probably in a couple days. Bye.